You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Okay, here we go. A short time ago, in a boardroom not so far away, <laughs> and, then, and then we told them it was jet fuel. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, oh, I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> ah, Mr. President, so glad you could join me once again. Late as usual, but uh, it doesn't really matter. You're going to be gone soon enough, aren't you? With your little golden parachute, you will sail off to the sunnier climes of some foreign country, I'm sure, to live the rest of your days in peace. You have served us well enough, I suppose. In fact, things are going remarkably well. We're making incredible progress in our conditioning to the, the public to enjoy their servitude. We've implemented bans on, bans on collecting rainwater, bans on feeding the homeless, bans on drinking raw milk. There seems to be absolutely no end to which the public will not submit themselves to us. In that spirit, we're of course going to be instituting some new laws in the coming months that you'll be announcing shortly. Uh, one is that there will be uh, only pizza eaten on Tuesdays. Uh, cars, uh, blue cars, will not be driven in, car, in cities with the letter C in their names uh, starting next month. And then towards the end of the year, we're thinking about party hats, mandatory for all breakfasts. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, let's see, what else? Oh yes, next month you're going to be announcing the invasion of Blamibia. Uh, you're going to be mobilizing 500,000 troops for a five-year commitment at five and a half trillion dollars. What was that? Yes, I know Blamibia is not a country, but do you think that really matters? <laughs> Have we taught you nothing in your years as puppet mouthpiece for us? Wait, look who I'm talking to. Well, I know you're not exactly the, uh, the sharpest knife in the drawer, Mr. President, and I know, uh, I know you don't read very much, if at all. No, comic strips don't count. Uh, but let me, let me share with you a book that I do not have to hand. <laughs> Do you know what this is, Mr. President? The Invasion from Mars by Hadley C. Cantrell. Hadley C. Cantrell was one of our boys at the Princeton Radio Project back in the 1930s, uh, one of Nelson's roommates and uh, back in college. And Nelson, Nelson Rockefeller. Yes, 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 that Nelson, Mr. President. And Hadley C. Cantrell wrote this study in 1940 of the 1938 Orson Welles radio broadcast that panicked the nation of the United States. It was a remarkable operation, so within, within weeks, the Princeton Radio Project organized to study the effect of that radio broadcast on the population. Why did up to a million Americans panic, literally believing they were being invaded by Martians based on nothing else other than a radio dramatization of an H.G. Wells novel? Well, this study, of course, found some of the details, and they're quite remarkable. 
But let's read from the preface of the 1966 edition of this publication, in which Cadley C. Cantrell wrote, on Halloween night 1938, Orson Welles and his Mercury Theater on the Air dramatized H.G. Wells' fantasy, War of the Worlds, so realistically and effectively that at least a million Americans became frightened and thousands were panic-stricken. The study reported in this book was launched immediately after the broadcast and gives an account of the major psychological reasons for the mass behavior involved. Since the publication of The Invasion from Mars in 1940, I have often been asked whether I thought such a thing could happen again. The questioners usually, usually imply that we are now somehow too sophisticated to be taken in by anything so fanciful. Unfortunately, I have always had to reply that of course it could happen again today, and even on a much more extensive scale. In this study of the most widespread panic of recent times, we are not dealing just with a bit of isolated science fiction pertinent to uh, only to one particular time and place. As this little book shows, we are, on the contrary, dealing with an episode of human behavior brought about by a pattern of circumstances providing a matrix for high suggestibility. Such a pattern is by no means absent today, though it would now be fashioned out of new and different ingredients. Since the Halloween boo of 1938, we have seen the development and use of atomic weapons. We know about the existence of intercontinental ballistic missiles and their immense destructive power. And we hear talk of satellites spinning about our tiny globe, carrying atomic warheads that could be quickly guided to any point on target on Earth. Such destructive forces against which there appears to be so little protection can only enhance the possibility of delusions that would be even more plausible than the invasion of Martians and that would not require the combined talents of H.G. Wells and Orson Wells to set it off. Do you know what this means, Mr. President? Let me give you an example. In this study, we found that 48% of those who panicked, believing that they were being invaded by Martians, did not do so much as turn the station to try to find out if that information was true. They sat there horrified, panic-stricken, in many cases packing up their belongings and heading for the hills, believing that Martians were coming from outer space to destroy them with death ray beams, and they couldn't be bothered to twist their arm a little to verify that information. Do you really think that humanity has changed in the past half century, Mr. President? <sighs> It's so glorious being one of us and watching them scurrying around like little ants doing what we say, doing our bidding as we please. Nothing can derail our agenda. I'll edit this better afterwards. <laughs> Sometime later. Yeah, yeah. Bank of America, just print up a trillion dollars and just give it to them. I don't know, call it quantitative easing. No one will even bother to look up what it means. Who cares? All right, thank you. <laughs> ah, Mrs. President, you're welcome very much for joining me today. Please sit down. 
Uh, well, congratulations, I suppose, on your selection. Of course, you, uh, you, the voting machines did mark you as the candidate of choice in this <laughs> election. And uh, yes, you won handily, and everything seems to be going quite well. Of course, uh, the usual coronation ceremonies took place, and, uh, and the public seems to have swallowed it, more or less. And we have a very interesting agenda for your four years in office, but, well, I hesitate to bring it up. It's obviously none of your worry, but you should probably know about it. In case you happen to get a question during one of your press conferences and we can't load the teleprompter quickly enough, you should probably know of the existence of a resistance movement of sorts. Now, again, this is not a worry. We have the situation under control, but we've intercepted some communications on this thing called the internet that we find problematic. Um, well, let me explain. Uh, we found this intercepted communication on something called the YouTube that apparently the young people like to use to transmit their messages between each other these days. And there was a really remarkable phenomenon developing that we noticed. For example, let me show you this. Welcome. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com with the last word on independence. In the course of human events, nothing has been more dangerous to the ruling elite than the concept of human liberty. Not the documents that have encapsulated that idea or charted its development. Not the Magna Carta. Not the Declaration of Independence. Not the Emancipation Proclamation. Nor any of the other pieces of paper upon which the idea of liberty has been set down. But the idea itself. That humans are born equal. That there are inalienable rights that no self-proclaimed authority is ever justified in attempting to usurp under whatever pretense that our life, our liberty, and our property are inviolable, and that it is our duty to resist those who seek to violate them. These are the truths that we hold to be self-evident here, now, in the 21st century, blessed as we are to stand on the shoulders of the philosophical giants who had the vision of foresight to realize that tyranny is not the natural state of humanity, and the courage of their convictions to fight and die for those beliefs. This idea has been dangerous to those who seek to dominate others precisely because it is an idea, a fire in the minds of men that once loosed upon the world can never be put out. It cannot be imprisoned, stabbed, shot, or put under the guillotine, although those who have furthered the cause of liberty have all too often been subjected to these punishments. The documents upon which it is inscribed can be ignored, revised, or destroyed altogether, but the idea itself is as immutable as the inalienable rights it upholds. The idea of liberty is dangerous precisely because it is permanent, indestructible, and ultimately irrepressible. Those who are seeking to once again claim their independence from the system and to stake out for themselves those rights that our forefathers and foremothers fought and died for are now being dubbed extremists and socially demonized for their refusal to go along with their own enslavement. Those who grow their own gardens to free themselves from dependence on the big multinational food conglomerates are portrayed as wackos. Those who invest in precious metals against the devaluation of the debt-based fractional reserve derivative-backed central bank-issued funny money that serves as the basis of our system of economic dependence are deemed kooks. Those who refuse to recognize the authority of the government to impose limits on their inalienable human rights to freedom from unlawful searches and seizures, and even freedom from violation of their own bodies, are branded dangerous subversives. And now, 
as another Independence Day comes and goes in the United States of America, and as we watch the political puppets of all stripes line up to pay lip service to the ideals of human freedom, it's time once again for the people, the world over, to ask themselves if they will stand with the ideals enshrined by Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence in 1776 that when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Because in reality, our liberty is not a vague concept that we can reaffirm on occasion as it suits us. It is a choice that we make each and every day to live in independence or in slavery. Every day is Independence Day. What a handsome young man. But what a terrible message. What a vile, disgusting seed to spread around this internet. It disgusts me to my core to see this type of message being propagated, but again, Mrs. President, you won't have to worry about it during your tenure. We'll take care of this in the usual ways. There are ways and means for taking care of these types of movements that spring up here and there. We can squash them like the bugs that they are. It's quite easy. Take an organization, assassinate the leader, physically, character assassination, man, eh, whatever. Uh, get them to fight amongst each other. That always works. Hey, you're a different color. Hey, you're not the same gender as me. I better hate you. Oh, they fall for it every single time. <laughs> as I say, we will stamp out this scourge upon our beautiful, glorious order, Mrs. President. You can rest assured of that. Several years later, Mrs. President, sit down. We have a lot to discuss. <clears throat> I'm afraid there's been some setbacks recently. It seems that that little movement we were talking about is not going away like we had hoped. It seems that these ideas continue to be spread around amongst the peons, and, well, we have been unsuccessful in our attempts so far to eliminate them. Recently, we discovered one of the texts that they are using to spread this ridiculous idea of theirs. The Politics of Obedience by Etienne de la Boetie. Listen to this vile filth. But, oh good Lord, what strange phenomenon is this? What name shall we give it? What is the nature of this misfortune? What vice is it, or rather, what degradation? To see an endless multitude of people not merely obeying, but driven to servility, not ruled, but tyrannized over. These wretches have no wealth, no kin, nor wife, nor children, not even life itself that they can call their own. They suffer plundering, wantonness, cruelty, not from an army, not from a barbarian horde, not from, uh, on account of whom they must shed their blood and sacrifice their lives, but from a single man, not from a Hercules, not from a Samson, but from a single little man. 
Too frequently, this same little man is the most cowardly and effeminate in the nation, a stranger to the powder of battle and hesitant on the sands of the tournament, not only without energy to direct men by force, but with hardly enough virility to bed with a common woman. <laughs> Shall we call subjection to such a leader cowardice? Shall we say that those who serve him are cowardly and faint-hearted? If two, if three, if four do not defend themselves from one, we might call that circumstance surprising, but nevertheless conceivable. In such a case, one might be justified in suspecting a lack of courage. But if a hundred, if a thousand endure the caprice of a single man, should we not rather say that they lack not the courage, but the desire to rise against him? and that such an attitude indicates indifference rather than cowardice. When not a hundred, not a thousand men, but a hundred provinces, a thousand cities, a million men refuse to assail a single man from whom the kindest treatment received is the infliction of, of serfdom and slavery, what shall we call that? Is it cowardice? Obviously, there is no need of fighting to overcome this single tyrant, for he is automatically defeated if the country refuses consent to its own enslavement. It is not necessary to deprive him of anything, but simply to give him nothing. There is no need that the country make an effort to do anything for itself, provided it does nothing against itself. It is therefore the inhabitants themselves who permit, or rather bring about, their own subjection, since by ceasing to submit, they would put an end to their servitude. A people enslaves itself, cuts its own throat, when, having a choice between being vassals and being freemen, it deserts its liberties and takes on the yoke, gives consent to its own mi uh, misery, or rather, apparently welcomes it. Everyone knows that the fire from a little spark increase and blaze ever higher as long as it finds wood to burn, yet without being quenched by water, but merely by finding no more fuel to feed on, it consumes itself, dies down, and is no longer aflame. Similarly, the more tyrants pillage, the more they crave, the more they ruin and destroy, the more one yields to them and obeys them. By that much do they become mightier and more formidable, the readier to annihilate and destroy. But if not one thing is yielded to them, if without any violence they are simply not obeyed, they become naked and undone and as nothing, just as when the root receives no nourishment, the branches withers and dies. <sighs> Mrs. President, I don't know what to say. This, this idea is is taking off. It's in fact, it's being used as we speak, not by one or two or several individuals, not by a group, not by an organization, not even a multitude of organizations, but by millions of individuals around the globe self-activating with this radical material. It's very difficult to know what to do about this phenomenon. Observe. Well, the group Food Not Bombs is staging a protest here at City Hall. They're going to do it about this time, but you can see they're running behind. They're making their posters right now. It's our understanding that another group will pass out sandwiches around 12.15. Of course, folks are waiting here for the food. This feeding is more or less a slap in the face to city officials 
who won the last round of appeals. In early July, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the large group feeding ordinance. That made it illegal to feed a group of 25 or more within a two-mile radius of City Hall. And this makes no sense to the hungry and the homeless. Now the clashes broke out when activists refused to clear the area to let bulldozers in to destroy the property of 72-year-old Isabel Lopez in the city of Acaruna. Some activists chained themselves to the roof of the old woman's property. Police failed to evict Lopez from her home last year because of public protests and some firefighters' refusal to take part in the operation. Now police say the old woman has fallen behind in her rent. We're, we want the bailiffs to come because we want to arrest the bailiffs because what they're doing is totally unlawful. Yeah. Uh, we've got the proof, they need arrested. Here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail. Before he headed out to hide eggs across the valley, the Easter Bunny spent his Saturday night hiding a photo radar camera in Tempe. It's all a scam. Shelton videotaped the prank and then uploaded it to YouTube. The 90-second clip shows someone dressed in the costume walk up to a red light camera at the intersection of rural and university in Tempe. The bunny, who Shelton won't identify, takes a giant egg and places it over the camera, rendering it useless. Yes, Mrs. President, of course we're going to order a moratorium on Easter Bunny costumes, but that's not the point. The point is this idea is spreading. Again, we're committing our full resources to this problem, and we expect to have it all in order for the next selection. Your next, your successor has already been selected. Everything, again, should go according to plan. And don't worry, your successor will rule with an iron fist. There will be no slack given. There will be no quarter given to this movement, to these people these people that are spreading all around the globe, the people not just in this country, but all around the globe, in Western Japan, in the Netherlands, in Acapulco. <laughs> they will be destroyed, Mrs. President. Of that, you can be assured. After the election, <clears throat> Mrs. President, I have some news for you. Your successor was not selected as we intended. Of course, the voting machines did show that he won by 63%, but there's a slight hitch. No one voted. <laughs> not one single person showed up to the voting booths. We still think we can pass that one off, <laughs> but there's more. Tax day came and went. Not a single person filed. Yes. We've passed as many arbitrary laws that we could think of to make people internalize their own enslavement, but They've stopped wearing their party hats to breakfast. <laughs> They're driving blue cars in cities with the letter C in their name on Tuesdays. 
and many, many other flagrant and wanton violations of our edicts. It looks like you've lost, Mrs. President. We? <laughs> we? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's not the deal. You're the puppet. <laughs> You're going to be slaughtered. Um, as for me and my friends, well, I've decided to join the winning team. I am no longer going to be your slave master or anyone else's. Peace, love, anarchy. I'm out. Now available from CorbettReport.com. The Data DVD Volume 4. Every podcast, interview, episode and article published on CorbettReport.com in 2011. All on two Data DVDs. For details or to buy other Corbett Report DVDs, please go to CorbettReport.com slash shop.